Getting the smile and confidence you've been dreaming about all from the comfort of your home isn't a total mystery with Bite Clear Aligners. Just don't be surprised if all your friends start asking, what's your secret? Begin by ordering your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95. Bite Clear Aligners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces, plus they offer flexible financing, accept eligible insurance, and you can pay with your HSA FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot Start your confidence journey today with Byte. Delve into the shadows of the mind with Sleeping Dogs, a gripping murder mystery starring Academy Award winner Russell Crowe. Now available on digital. Crowe portrays an ex-homicide detective unraveling a brutal murder he can't recall. Uncovering secrets from his past, he learns a chilling truth. It's best to let sleeping dogs lie. Visit sleepingdogsmovie.com slash Wondery to watch Sleeping Dogs, now on digital. That's sleepingdogsmovie.com slash Wondery. This is The Hash Podcast. Stay informed with the latest on Bitcoin, ETH, the Metaverse, Web3, and more with stories that matter to the crypto world, all on The Hash for your ears. You're listening to the Coindesk Podcast Network. Hey there. Welcome to Coindesk TV. You're watching The Hash. It's three box Thursday, but a day early. That's good times. I'm Zach Seward. That's Jen Sinassi <laughs> and Will Foxley. Just to clarify, it is indeed Wednesday. It's a joke here. <laughs> we viewers. got the joke. Three Box Thursday. I got the joke. Thank you. Thank yeah. you. It's the eve of Three Box Thursday, but it's a Three Box Wednesday. And we're happy you're here. So anyway, that's it. We're going to get you caught up to speed on what's going on in crypto news. And Will is leading us off. Take it away. That's right. According to a new legal filing from the Federal Trade Commission, there's an investigation into Voyager Digital and how they marketed their cryptocurrency project. Of course, Voyager Digital declared a Chapter 11 bankruptcy over the summer months. That was part of the spew of the fallout from Three Arrows Capital. They later sold their uh, Chapter 11 bankruptcy claims to FTX, which then itself went into Chapter 11. And now we have this investigation. Also this morning, we have a new headline that Binance US has been affirmed and is likely to win the final Chapter 11 assets from this whole contagion with Voyager. So we kind of get a resolution there. That being said, this FTC investigation is now open and they're going to look into the directors, the officers, the marketing of the firm that got them into this position in the first place. This really feels like a story for Jen. I got to throw it your way. There's a <laughs> lot of marketing in crypto. There's a lot of marketing out there that Gary Gensler and SEC boys would not love, but it's probably how you went out in this ecosystem. I want to get your take on it. Yeah. So this is all about this bankruptcy case, right? What the FTC is saying is that if Voyager is sold, which it looks like it is going to be to Binance US, all of these marketing claims shouldn't go away. And I think I agree with them. I just want to remind our audience. So there is a class action lawsuit in South Florida, and it's against Mark Cuban and the Dallas Mavericks. And the claims are that Voyager falsely marketed the platform as 100% commission-free, falsely represented Voyager as insured by the FDIC, and failed to disclose the nature, scope, and amount of compensation celebrities received in exchange for promotion. I don't think that the executives and the company should not be held liable for those things if it's found that these allegations are true. 
And I guess my next question is, is if the sale goes through and Binance US does acquire Voyager Digital, do they acquire these lawsuits as well? It seems like the FTC wants them to. And I wonder if that's going to affect the sale. But I think that all marketers in crypto should be looking at this with a magnifying glass and taking a look at your marketing strategy. You should understand how the business works. If you're making claims that there are things like FDIC insurance and it comes out in your copy or in your marketing, you are partially responsible for that messaging. And so I think that marketers need to do a better job understanding all parts of the business. Zach, what do you think? Yeah, you got to really be careful out here. Um, you know, I think the SEC is very attuned to some of these claims, right? Um, there is a lot of suspicion around where yield in crypto comes from, right? And the word interest even, right? I think a lot of people mistakenly call these things interest-bearing accounts. It's different. Maybe it's rewards from staking. Maybe it's some other sort of mechanism by which you're generating yield. But I think the onus is on centralized finance companies such as Voyager to be crystal clear about what is going on on your platform. Because right now, any sort of, you know, askance wording around what you're offering and how you're offering it is really drawing the ire of lawyers in the federal government. We saw this big time with the Kraken case, right? The Kraken case, which was about their staking service. That was very much about how it was represented and how it was represented differently than what you would get as an individual would you be staking things directly on a blockchain, right? So I think the language is really important. And especially like right now with regulators just going over this stuff with a fine tooth comb, it's really, really important to be clear about what's going on to make sure that you're not running afoul of securities laws or in this case, other violations. And I think we're going to see you know, potentially more of this because the timing does seem right around some of these enforcement actions. Toss it to Will though. Will, what's up? Yeah, last take here for me. Interesting how there's always like a different agency that's going after these claims, right? So typically to SEC, the Kraken one you just mentioned, Zach, that was a bombshell from about two weeks ago. And that really was about the financialization of stake, right? The saying that I can get some sort of interest-bearing account on top of staking when in reality staking is just staking, right? And the SEC doesn't seem to have too many qualms about that. I think we're still understanding that full story, but they don't seem to have too many issues with the underlying staking. It's the financialization of stake, right? Saying that you have an interest-bearing account here when you are in fact just staking a cryptocurrency. And I think that's the thing that's going to be come knocking for all these different companies that were offering interest. And it makes sense from a marketing angle that people were saying that these are interest-bearing accounts, right? Because most people are familiar with that. They open a checking account when they're 12 with their parents and maybe got a little bit of interest. And so nowadays, when you're looking at these different projects and you're opening up an account on Voyager, or you're opening an account on FTX, it's marketed as, as interest when in reality, it's not really interest, right? You're basically... Uh, getting some sort of financialized program from staking or trading or lending, things like that. And there's some comparisons to, to interest for sure, but it's not necessarily the same here. And I think it's a big issue that a lot of marketing people in this space got caught up in. And now they're going to have to pay the penalty. But Jen, we'll go to you for the next story. Yeah, before we go to the next story, I'll give one last thought here. I hope that marketers are looking at this and thinking about how they're disclosing those influencer relationships, those celebrity relationships. And I hope that they're challenging themselves to ask the people who give them the information that they're publishing, you know, if it's true, what are we bagging? I think everyone is responsible for the information that goes out there. So as a marketer myself, it's sometimes hard to get people to answer those questions. But I hope that everyone watching just pushes a little harder. Um, and if you're not sure, just don't publish, you know, no one's going to die. But let's move on. Pseudonymous Blur Marketplace co-founder Pac-Man has revealed his identity. So in a series of tweets, he said he enjoyed the privacy of being pseudo, but since Blur's exponential growth, 
he feels it's time to share his identity publicly. Coindesk used the details he provided to match his profile to Crunchbase and LinkedIn profiles, revealing his name as Tishan Rocare. Will, I'm going to pass this one off to you first. What do you think about this? Do you think it's almost necessary for these pseudonymous founders, co-founders to reveal their identity for the success of their projects? Before we go there, just look at that resume we have on that tweet up, right? Like this guy know, has right? got it going on. He is a lot. <laughs> and like, he's so young. I don't have to be, I'm not qualified. I'm not qualified to even talk about him. He's just got a lot going on here. So he dropped out of high school to go through Y Combinator, studied math, computer science at MIT, received the Teal Fellowship to leave and left MIT to start Namebase. And then he sold Namebase to Namecheap. That is a quite a list of accomplishments. Looks like he's under 30, or at least I'm just guessing he is. That's pretty good. Pretty good. Uh, in terms of like being public in the space or not, I think this is actually sort of a good move when you become large enough. I think that Satoshi, when he left Bitcoin, sort of set a precedent, right? You either stick around and kind of reveal yourself so you can see if there's like a good reputation or you leave the space entirely, you leave the project and you let it go off on its own, right? That's sort of like the, the legacy of all these crypto projects. And this guy chose to go public. I mean, there's definitely some concerns here for physical safety. That's a big reason why people choose to say anonymous or pseudonymous, I should really say. Yeah, that's a big reason. I think other reasons people have chosen for being pseudonymous have been more nefarious, right? Like you can go back to Chef Nami back in 2020 and the whole story is about that. In this case, I think it was a good move, right? Like Blur is becoming really big. It's a big project. And I think a lot of these token projects out there, really, they're like kind of companies at the end of the day. And we have company names and faces and about pages for a reason. So I sort of like this. Zach, over to you. Yeah, he's 24, 25. So uh, yeah, definitely a young king out here doing big things. I wanted to say on his website, the one that stood out to me, in 2014, we'd have to do the math on that one. He moved from Boston to San Francisco to work as a full-time engineer at Teespring instead of doing my junior year of high school. So this guy has been out for a while and is super thoughtful about what he's building over at Blur. Blur seized upon a really interesting thesis and just executed immaculately, right? Their thesis was, there's no marketplace in NFTs serving the professional power user. And we need to build a marketplace that serves that user and we're going to do that. They ultimately did a bunch of good brinksmanship on the issue of NFT royalties, forcing OpenSea to basically come more in line with what they were doing. There was this whole back and forth about people blocking collections on Blur versus those on OpenSea. You can get into the details of it. But really what it comes down to is someone who had a thesis and someone who stuck to that thesis and someone who shipped something that now is unseating OpenSea when it comes to daily volume, which is crazy because for the longest time, OpenSea has been probably the strongest incumbent in the space. All through the NFT bull cycle, they were the only game in town. We saw these other ones come along, kind of get wrecked by like all the wash trading going along with different token incentives. And Blur, on the other hand, sort of saw this and said, okay, we can offer sort of a better model. And they ultimately kind of won out, which is pretty remarkable. So uh, you know, with this guy revealing his identity, I think that's, it's interesting. It's interesting that you can build a prominent company in this space with only being you know, Pac-Man. You can use a pseudonym. I think that's a great thing about crypto. I hope some of that ethos stays, but I guess, Will, to your point, right? Like pseudonymity can mask suspect behavior in some instances. In this one, I don't think that's necessarily the case, but hey, who knows? I don't know, Jen, what do you think? Yeah, no, I think it's important for stories to come out like this to counter the stories that come out about people like Do Kwan, who, you know, had pseudonymous personalities, brought a project to life that didn't work, and then 
you know, never said anything about it, then went on to do something that was very similar. Again, there are good actors in the space that are remaining pseudonymous for good reasons. Unfortunately, I think that people like Do Kwan have kind of ruined it for the, the good people. I want to go back to just, you know, like celebrating this young king. He went through Y Combinator at 17 years old. And I love that he is giving OpenSea a run for their money. I know we're not propping up gods in this space anymore. And so I'm going to leave it there. But I support him. Will? I love how we're all jumping around the word pseudonymous like it's a landmine because it's, it's not we really fun to say on live TV. It. It's, it's a long <laughs> word. It's a long word. Uh, but I long. think it's an important word here. And it's important in crypto. It sort of brings like the fun of crypto out, right? Like, there's a lot mm-hmm. of boring jobs out there, but it's hard to have a boring day in crypto because there's like weird things like this. Like you might be working with a pseudonymous founder who's like 24, dropped out of MIT to go work at Y Combinator and launch this NFT project. That's exciting. You don't see that every day. And I like to applaud these stories because I think he did make an ethical decision that has ramifications for his own life, right? Like there is a physical threat to people in crypto because it is digital cash, right? We see a lot of instances in crypto's history where people get SIM swapped or people get like, French attacked, there's been swattings, things like that. And that's why people say stay pseudonymous, right? They don't want to be like part of that and they try to hide themselves. But if you step out and show like, this is who I am, this is what the project's about, I think your project has a little bit more legs. I think Bitcoin only got so far in a lot of ways because Satoshi did leave the project. He said like, this is got off, it's fine, it's working. We have other people stepping in now. Time for me to step back and for like the community to take over. I think you sort of have those two paths, right? You can either step back, or you can step out into the sunshine and let everyone know who you are. And that's the only way for things really to start growing past that. I'll leave it there. Zach, throw it over to you. You guys ready to talk about the developers? One of my favorite gifts of all time is the Steve Ballmer developers, developers, developers from the early 90s. It was true back in the early days of Web 2. And it's true here in the present day of Web 3. Calling all early-stage crypto, blockchain, and Web3 startups, teams, and builders. Apply to Coindesk PitchFest, powered by Google Cloud, and pitch live on stage at Consensus in Austin this April. Winners will receive two VIP Piranha Passes to Consensus 2024, featured coverage on Coindesk, and an invitation to present at Coindesk's Private Investor Summit, Ideas 2023. Learn more and apply at consensus.coindesk.com slash pitchfest. Let's talk about the developers, shall we? Developers are really important when it comes to emerging technologies, of which crypto is one. And we have some fresh numbers as part of Coindesk's Biddle Week that suggests that developer activity is not slowing down. Despite this historic bear market, the devs are still sticking around, committing code to open source repositories on GitHub. And that's what we're tracking here. We're looking at something like 6,000 to 7,000 weekly active developers since the start of 2023, according to some data compiled by Artemis.xyz. Let's talk about what it means and why it matters. Will, let's talk about the devs. Why does everyone always want to hang out with the devs? Why are they so important? What does it mean? Okay, but let's be fair. They only care about the devs during the bear market. This is like the classic storyline, right? During the bull market, with these nice big checks, all we talk about is headlines. I mean, I don't think there was a, a day last year during the hash where we didn't talk about some big new funding round from some company, right? And now all that money is going to these developers' pockets and they're coding away on GitHub 
And you know, that's a good thing. We're, we're celebrating them. To me, that doesn't really tell much of a story though. Yes, people are coding more, but it's really because we're seeing that capital go to work finally, right? So we see that actual implementations of commits to GitHub are going up, continuing up, and they're not really dropping along the bear market. I think a lot of people thought like this might be cyclical, right? Where a lot of people drop off, a lot of people get laid off. But in reality, like a lot of these checks were written for the purpose of building new projects. And that means coding at the end of the day. That doesn't mean marketing. That doesn't mean legal. That means coding, right? So that's where all that money is going. One sort of like sidetrack I want to bring up here is actually Bitcoin maintainers and Bitcoin coders compared to the rest of everyone in crypto. All these other crypto projects, they have a lot of funding mechanisms set up, right? Where you can go to VCs, you can do a token allocation, you can do some sort of funding round. That's all there. And that's why you see like a lot of coders building on these other projects. Bitcoin, on the other hand, doesn't really have that, right? Like you often get donations from individual companies. Maybe someone has a stash of Bitcoin that they're able to just live off of and then continue to commits to Bitcoin. But if you look at like the number of people who are working in Bitcoin, it's actually dwindling. We had a maintainer, a longtime maintainer, step down this last week. So there was only five maintainers previously for the Bitcoin core implementation. And now there's only four. That doesn't mean there's only four coders working on Bitcoin this time. There's only four maintainers, which are basically like combing through, looking for bugs. There's still a lot of people working on the Bitcoin core software, but it's pretty tiny compared to that graphic we just saw. You know, there's thousands of other coders working on thousands of Web3 products. Not a lot of people working on Bitcoin right now because the funding isn't really there. Jen, I'll throw it over to you for your take. Yeah, you kind of said a little bit at the top of your answer there. Amongst all of these layoffs, I think this data shows us that developers aren't the ones losing jobs, right? They're still developing. They're still out here. From what I've seen in the industry, and I don't have a lot of numbers or deep research to back this up, developers are not only not losing jobs, but a lot of firms are still hiring for developers in the space, they're still doing pretty okay. When we look at some of the other jobs that people can have in this industry, there are still grant programs that are targeting developers. There is still investment being made to developers who have novel ideas. And so I think that this is just great news for the industry and open source, right? The whole ethos of this industry is we're tearing down walled gardens to see all these commits on GitHub show that developers are still committed to that. This is still open source. We are still heading towards a future where we can build together. And it's cool. Zach? Yeah, I think the thing that stands out for me is, you, you know, you see these massive drawdowns in price when it comes to like crypto cyclicality. You don't really see that with the developer numbers, right? Those developers, like it's a sticky experience. They don't tend to leave when the price sheds something like 80% in value on some networks, right? So the fact that I think developers are sticking around despite the cyclicality that you mentioned, Will, like is a genuinely interesting finding. And you know, given that um, you know, these smart contract blockchains are still fairly new in terms of how much sort of historical data we have, that this is sort of an emerging consensus that we're seeing. These developers tend to stick around once they start dabbling in Web3 software development. That I think is something that the industry you know, should feel heartened by, honestly, that price and developer activity aren't super correlated. You know, I think it was last month, January, was the Electric Capital Developer Report that said something that like 23,000 monthly active developers work on these prominent smart contract blockchains, of which Ethereum is top dog, by the way, we should say. So there is people that are doing this stuff relative to the entirety of sort of like Web2 coding land. It's still super small, and we should definitely be pretty upfront about that. 23,000 monthly active developers on the open source side, sure, that may be undercounting it because there's people building in closed source within teams. Still, let's say 30,000 crypto developers, 
that's tiny relative to the rest of the development like population. So it is worth pointing that out, that even though it's growing, it's still probably a pretty small sliver of the total pie. But Will, I'll toss it to you. Sorry, hand. I love the Easter egg with the electric capital report, the well-esteem report everyone looks forward to every year. Nice, nice little call out there. One thing I want to bring up is like the AI angle here that everyone's talking about right now, right? Like there's about 30,000 developers in crypto, plus or minus. We'll take that number, Zach, from you. What happens though, when we see like AI jump in these things, I think a lot of people are questioning that. I think it's a little overhyped personally, but got to talk about it, right? So like, where are these things going to go? We saw a lot of drawdowns in different sectors, like Coinbase has had a lot of layoffs. Meta this morning, just for like another layoff tangential story here, is going to do more layoffs. What's going to happen when we see like the implementation of broader tech efficiency gains like AI? I got to throw it to Jen. I feel like you have a hot take on this, or at least I hope you do. Cross my fingers. I don't have a hot take on it. I'm so sorry. I will give my very mediocre, lukewarm take that kind of has nothing to do with what you said. And then maybe Zach will have a hot take on it. The article Mm. compared these developer numbers to developer numbers in 2020. And my very boring take now, Will, I hate that you set me up for this, is that Mm. I think this is like also indicative of all of these mainstream brands that you mentioned, Will, are doing layoffs now. They're they're really committed to the space. Despite the market, despite the headlines, we still see them building. Every day we have this like road to boring story still continuing throughout the bear market. I think there was some Tencent and Microsoft news that came out this morning. And so this is, this is just good news. That's my boring take. Will, you have something hotter to say? I'll snatch it one more time. I'll snatch it. I want to set up Zach for a question I actually have for him. There's a lot of these layer ones and layer two projects that got a ton of money during the last two years and they don't know how to spend it. And now they're going to spend on developers the next few years. And during the previous cycle, we saw EOS and a bunch of these other firms just kind of blow out because they had a lot of money, but they didn't go anywhere, anywhere with it. They had no product market fit. Zach, do you think the same thing happens this time around with a lot of the layer ones, layer twos that have so much money? They might have developers working on stuff, but at the end of the day, no one cares about their products. And if so... Name some tokens, sir. I want to hear some projects. Wow. Wow. I don't know Uh-oh. what you're... I don't, I, like, I kind of I get where you're going tear. with this one. Will's, Will's <laughs> trying to stir it up today. That's fantastic. I think the thing that stood out to me, actually, from the Electric Capital Report that's not mentioned here, is the emergence of the multi-chain developer, right? Where you can be like an EVM developer and you can deploy your stuff across various networks, right? So I think that is actually empowering at the developer level and may sort of change the calculus relative to them having to lock their fortunes to one particular chain, right? You know, say I do EVM and I can deploy on Arbitrum and then I can do on Optimism and I can go wherever it suits me, right? And I think that does kind of change that dynamic where there's a bit more sort of like flexibility, especially within the EVM universe that maybe didn't exist in the past cycle relative to those other L1s. But hey, who knows? Jen, a Jen, I think, formulated. very political. I didn't know. It's not. A, hey. Stop setting me up for this hot take. It's not that hot. Not, I think that this, this shows also like developers have a lot to work on, right? In the last bull cycle, we had a lot of issues, a lot of hacks, a lot of security issues. And so I think that those were highlighted and it's important that we work on them to have a better industry. Will, Zach, mm. someone wrap us up. I mean, I'll wrap, let's wrap. I have a hot I'll take. I'll wrap it. Yeah, I'll wrap it. Will, you save that hot take for tomorrow. All right, that's it. So this whole piece is part of Coindesk's Biddle Week coverage. Check it out. It's Consensus Magazine's second theme week series of 2023. Lots of good stuff, including reports focused on devs, all sorts of good stuff. 
crypto industry, you name it. Check it out. And actually, if you read this article that we were just talking about, you can click to claim some of that sweet, sweet desk token. Check it out. I just saw that. Ooh. Anyway, yeah, no, desk drop, desk drop, desk just drop. Like a- Which is an engagement <laughs> token. I don't know what you're talking about. Will. God. Anyway, that's Will Foxley like over there. Coupon. There's Jen Sanasi. <laughs> I'm Zach Seward. We're the hash. We'll be back here tomorrow. And we'll talk to you then, okay? All right. Cool. Bye. See you, everybody. You've been listening to The Hash on the Coindesk Podcast Network. We would like to hear from you. So if you have any questions or comments, please reach out to us at podcasts at coindesk.com, subject line, The Hash, or leave us a review on your favorite podcast player. Thanks for listening. 